This. This is, this is Diversified, Diversified Game. 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 A podcast giving entrepreneurial advice from a diverse and inclusive perspective with Kelly. He may agree, he may oppose, and it's more than just race, it's about, you know, ideas. And AL. Focus more on execution and application and less on excuses. So, let the game begin. Hey, it's Kellen. And today, you guys, I want you to listen in or watch very clearly because my guest today has the power to appear, disappear, make things appear out of nowhere. We're not asking for any tricks, but he is a full-time magician. And we're going to give you the game. We have Brian Miller. All his information is in the description box. I want you to check him out. If you like what you see for your corporate events, for your personal, you know, birthday parties, weddings, hit him up. He's a great guy. I've seen his stuff. Great story testimony. Brian, welcome to the show. Hey, Kellen. Thanks so much. It's a pleasure to be here. Brian, thank thank you. Um, and again, not going to ask any magician. It's This is not like the Sway show where we're going to say, hey, show us your tricks and what you got going on, right? But I really, um, I love magic. As a kid, loved magic. And I think the only thing that stopped me pursuing it is I would have been like the prestige, always looking for the other side, um, <laughs> possibly the dark. Where can we push it? I'm a guy who rides bulls, ready to do any type of adventure. And I like to take people with me, even though if they don't want to go. But your magic, I mean, what I find about your story is, I mean, you kind of grew up, um, you know, your, your story says friendless, which I think a lot of entertainers hone their craft in private and it's not the friends that you have now but it's the people in later in life but mm -hmm. talk about your journey in magic and what gave you the courage and I'll get into that deeper the courage to do magic full time yeah this is so funny you you uh you say that you you were into magic and you kind of got out of it that's I feel like basically everyone I meet when they find out you're a magician they they go oh man i loved magic as a kid and everybody's got this like as a kid i loved magic and then i grew up and some of us just never grew up and we became professional magicians um it, it's funny i i was obsessed with magic as a little kid because of my dad and my grandfather uh they were both magic enthusiasts neither of them ever did it professionally uh but i was around magic all my life and there is something that happened where, like you said, I, I, that really is a big part of my story. And it's, it's not a particularly unique part of my story. If you talk to a lot of magicians, and as you said, uh, you talk to entertainers, comedians, and, and people like that, actors, it's like the whole entertainment field feels like revenge of the nerd, doesn't it? A little bit. <laughs> like every time I see a kid that's a little nerdy, that's getting bullied, that's having a hard time, I, I want to lean into them and whisper like, don't worry, because when you get older, people like you rule the world, right? Yeah. Like it's just the people that have this creative mindset and kind of they have this idea, but when you're a kid, it's not cool to have interesting ideas. It's cool to fit in, but we don't like to fit in. But then, so that leads down a bunch of different interesting paths. And magic is uh, really exciting when you're a kid because it's not just an exercise in creativity, but it's an exercise in power. And that's why I thought it was interesting you went right to the prestige and like, oh, I would have gone down the dark side. And, you know, like, there's a little bit of that. It's not something a lot of magicians talk about, but there's something when you're a kid who's been bullied and kind of friendless that's very exciting about getting to go, I am now in control of this situation, where otherwise you would never be. So like, the popular kids, the jocks, the popular girls, whatever, who would never give you the time of day, will give you their full attention when you're doing a magic trick and you're in control of the situation. So it's very easy for someone getting into magic in that situation to end up developing a massive ego, which is, if you know entertainers, what mostly happens, right? They yeah. go, they flip from that totally friendless, bullied, you know, mindset right over to massive ego arrogance. And then that tends to be manifesting, I've found, out of insecurity. I, I find myself saying a lot, arrogance comes from insecurity, confidence comes from experience. So if you're a great, uh, if you're very self-aware, 
after you've gone through that kind of arrogant ego thing where you've swung back to that side after a couple of years of being in entertainment, hopefully if you're self-aware you end up finding a happy medium, but that's what basically happened for me. Uh, Magic helped me develop confidence and interpersonal skills, find a personality and, and you get to kind of invent the kind of person you want to be. I wish I was funny. I wasn't funny, but as a magician, I could be funny. Why not? It's magic. It's not real anyway. Mm-hmm. So like you get to just pretend. And so eventually you just start to take on the characteristics of the, the, the character that you're playing of, because it's magic. It's not real. Uh, so yeah, that's kind of my, that's kind of my weaving in. And I, I know you wanted to steer into courage. So I don't know if that gets us there. No, that definitely gets us there because, I mean, you are, I mean, philosophy, mathematics, and you gave (laughs) up a PhD program to, you know, pursue this. That takes courage. And one of the things that, you know, that person who I I had my first book done, not published, because who had $10,000 at that time, what it took (laughs) to publish a book at like 10 or 12. But you, you have to have, you know, um, the push back and then you might get one person who says push up and sometimes you don't even get that one person to say I'm going to go pursue this and everyone else is going to say you're crazy you need to go with a sure shot so how do you how did you get that courage was anyone in your corner um mm-hmm. how did how did you do it yeah that's that's a great question um i got really lucky i had an incredible support network. Uh, not at the time I decided to make this my profession. So it was, it was interesting. But all my life, my dad and my mom, uh, but my dad was the one that was really into magic. And, and, and my parents are both, uh, they've been divorced since I was half a year old. And that's really neither here nor there for this particular conversation. That's not unusual anymore. When I was a kid, that was incredibly unusual. There, no one had divorced parents. I was that, so that informed a lot of the issues I had as a kid of not feeling like I fit in and stuff like that. But um, in spite of that, I had a very normal upbringing. My parents did a great job of splitting my time between them and blah, blah, blah. Right. So I, I don't have a sob story and I don't pretend to. Uh, having said that, my dad, even though he is a computer scientist and like he's a world renowned computer scientist, and my mom is also a computer scientist. They've both done really important global work in their fields. So obviously I became a magician. And, uh, <laughs> and when I was younger, though, my dad really, really encouraged me anything I was interested in, he would support. So for a while, I, I, I was really into athletics. I played baseball and basketball. I, I was very serious in basketball for a long time. Um, interesting little side, side note about that. Uh, I pl- grew up in Buffalo, New York, and one of my teammates for a couple of years as a kid, I knew him as Robbie. Uh, you know him as Gronk. Uh, I grew up with Rob Gronkowski playing basketball. I am not in touch with him. We were only teammates as kids. We lost touch. I've never reached out ever since he got famous. I'm not, I'm not that guy. But funny growing up, uh, you know, looking back now, you just go, well, you have no idea who anybody's going to end up being or doing, right, when you're a kid. People are always like, was Gronk an amazing basketball player? I'm like, we were seven. He was all right. Like, <laughs> as good as any seven-year-old was. Um, so anyway, what happened was my, my dad really supported. I wanted to play music. I wanted to play guitar. I wanted to try cartooning. He would just put me in whatever camp, whatever. It, you want to be a cartoonist today? Fine. I'll put you in a cartooning camp. You want to play guitar? I'll get you a guitar, get you some lessons, right? So when I started getting serious about magic, him and my mom, they just for every birthday, every holiday, they just took they got me magic tricks whatever i asked for they didn't know what they were buying me i said these are the things i want right and i listed them out and gave them links in the early days of the internet remember just like here's a link to a magic trick on a website that i'd like you to buy for me and they would you know get it if they could and so i had a lot of support and when i was 16 i had already been doing magic been paid since i i, I started getting paid when i was about 13 14 for doing magic shows um And that was a light bulb moment, right? So I'm like, I don't know, maybe 14. And a local youth group offered to pay me, I don't know, 20 bucks, right? Who knows? To come do a magic show for their group. They were probably kids a year younger than me, right? (laughs) And 
I remember that moment where someone offered to pay me going, oh, I, I didn't know you could get paid to do this, right? This was just a hobby. I mean, you didn't, I, nobody told me you could make money doing magic. This is hard to explain to people who've grown up with the internet, but you, you will get this, right? So, because uh, I spent a lot of time around millennials and Gen, Z, and Gen Z in particular, who've never not had the internet the way it is currently. But I like, I usually say like, I was from the last group of kids that grew up right before the digital revolution. So the digital revolution happened while I was in the middle of college. So my adult life has always been in that world. My entire childhood was in the, the world before that, the analog world, uh, which is a really weird place to be, right? It gives you a very interesting perspective. So what happened was um, as, a, as a kid, when I was trying to explain to my dad that I wanted to be a magician, he was very, very supportive of that because I was working this little part-time job at McDonald's. It's the only job I ever had, right? I was like 16, worked for about nine months at McDonald's. And in the middle of that, at one point, someone offered to have me come do magic at their company holiday party. And I figured I would charge them, I don't know what it was, 150 bucks to go for like three hours to do magic, right? Which now is silly, right? But at the time I did it, they had no problem with that. To them, they must've been laughing with how little they were paying me. But I remember getting a check for 150 bucks. All I had done was card tricks for a couple of hours. And I went back to McDonald's and realized how long, how many weeks it would take me over that hot grill to make 150 bucks. And I just went to my dad and I said, dad, I'm a magician now and I'm quitting McDonald's. And to his eternal credit, he didn't say no. What he said was, okay, you can do magic instead of McDonald's if you can make roughly the same amount of money doing magic that you were making at McDonald's. Hmm. What's interesting about that is, again, there's no sob story here. I grew up in middle class. I didn't want for anything. Money wasn't an issue in my family. So I don't, I don't have that story, right? I don't hmm. pretend to. I always need to like, clarify that when I'm, when I'm talking to people, right? So what my dad was trying to do there is say, if you're going to be a magician, quote unquote, I don't want you to just sit in your room doing card tricks for yourself and claim that you're a magician. I need you to get out there and figure out how to get people to pay you to be a magician. And so by saying you have to make the same amount of money you were making at McDonald's, that was his way of forcing me to build a business and not just do card tricks. And uh, I took him up on that. And uh, here we are. <laughs> wow. That's, that was it. And, and you know, it's funny. Um, the, McDonald's experience, I have this burn still on my hand. Oh, I have one too. <laughs> yeah. From, from, from the two, I only did, could do two days. And I did it trying to go from um, figuring out life after bachelor's and saying, okay, grad school. And I'm like, here I am about to go into grad school. Friend hooked me up with a job. I needed it at the time. Business was, you know, um, still kind of like figuring it out. Yeah. But, but the, the, the fact that even like Wyclef and different people have that and that experience, and, and I've been able to interview Wyclef, very humble person. Sometimes that McDonald's experience when you talk to yeah. different entertainers is humbling because you can remember, and I've had, I've had, I say every job, terrible employee, but clients love us. Clients love me. I've never had a client be like, Hey, you're fired. Um, I've had clients <laughs> say, I don't want to do what we're doing anymore. As far as I want to do a whole different business or go back into whatever world they want to go into, but that will humble someone. And I think, you know, having a good dad and supportive system, because yeah. if your dad was my wife, my wife is from Cameroon, West Africa. And when I try yeah. to take her like 18 years ago to a first magic show, I'm thinking I'm, you know, good boyfriend. Hey, let me show you this. We're in college. She said, magic. Oh, no, no, no. Because in Cameroon, West Africa, magic is like things going boom, boom, and all oh, types yeah. of people disappearing, you know, you know on the, the real dark side. Oh, yeah. And so it took a while for her to even even to watch it because she was like, I don't want to see magic. Um, but that that's that's humbling to to do that. So you've always had this business now did you have a mentor because on your bio i didn't i saw you know regular school but i didn't see like you went to magic school or anything like that so how did you build up to being you know full time and who helped you get there 
See, what you don't know is there is a Hogwarts and we're just keeping it secret. No, um, <laughs> I, people always kind of have that with ma magicians. They're like, but really, though, is there is there really a Hogwarts? Like people are still there's if you were a kid when Harry Potter came out, like you can be 40 years old now. And people are like, I still kind of believe <laughs> um, there really there are magic schools, not the way that you're thinking of. There are schools you can go to for a week or two weeks and do an intensive with a famous magician or something like that. Um, uh, but no, I didn't have any formal training in magic. Magic is still very much uh, an apprentice mentor uh, style relationship. Uh, it, magic is arguably the oldest art form in written history. It's been documented so far back. It's thousands of, at least to the ancient Romans. Uh, there's some debate about whether it dates back to the Egyptians, but that seems to be up in the air right now. Um, so it's very much an apprentice style relationship. Now, this will surprise some of the younger listeners, but I started learning magic with books uh, back when books didn't run out of batteries, and uh, which is really frustrating. Like, oh, I can't read my books out of batteries. Um, so basically, as a kid, I, I just I read magic books. So this is the thing that people don't realize. It, to this day, magic books are in the library. People think magic secrets are somehow they're secrets and they're hidden. No, they're in the library. Like you can just go take them out. It's just that you have to be really dedicated to find a magic book, read this incomprehensible text, right? Because think about what you're reading. You're reading a description of something that's not possible, mm -hmm. right? And you have to read that and figure out how to interpret it into something that actually works in the real world. That is not an easy thing to do. It's not intuitive. It feels like the first time you're reading Shakespeare. It's English, but it's, it's not the same language you're used to, right? Yeah. And so you have to learn how to read a magic book, and then you have to interpret it. And I am, I've made a bunch of jokes about the digital revolution. I am all for the digital revolution revolution. I think the technology we have right now is a miracle. It does a bunch of amazing things, but there's downsides to everything. And one of the downsides to the digital revolution is it's, it's hindered magic over the last few years and uh, over the last kind of 10 years. And, and I don't mean there's less magicians. There's more magicians than ever, but there's less original magic than ever. And, and so what's happening is when you learn a trick from a video, which is how all magicians are learning now. They're learning from YouTube, from instant downloads. You learn a trick from a video, you can't help yourself but just imitate, copy the performer because you're seeing what they're doing. So you kind of, every magician just kind of becomes a clone of the magician they're learning from. And if you have a thousand magicians across the world all learning from the same video, you're gonna get a thousand copycat performances. All these weird kind of mannerisms that don't make sense because that was just how that particular performer worked but now you've got all these people that think oh i'm supposed to move and make my speech sound like this because that's how that guy talked and and what happens with a book is if you take 10 magicians 10 competent magicians right all else being equal and you hand them all a written description of a magic trick with an explanation of how how to do it if you watch all 10 of them perform that trick after learning it you will get 10 completely different performances it will look like 10 different tricks because each of them has to read it and in their own mind, according to their own perspective and experiences and visual cues and references and culture, they interpret those words into the real world. And so there's something beautiful about learning magic and learning to, to this day so many things from the written word. It, you know, the, the digital technology has made it easy for people all over the world to get access to information. It's just it's making it too easy to just copy what you're learning instead of, instead of interpreting it. So, um, so to that end, I learned from books. And then when I was 17, 18, I had a chance encounter. One of the first chance encounters that really changed my life. I, I was already doing magic professionally 16. I founded my business legally and I've been doing it professionally ever since. So I was 17, 18, and I was in an Applebee's in Buffalo, New York at about one o'clock in the morning. They used to do these. I don't, they might still do them. Half price appetizers. Uh, this is not an endorsement for Applebee's. <laughs> I'm also not criticizing Applebee's. This is just a story where Applebee's was in it. I hope my manager heard me just cover my liability insurance. Okay. So, uh, so Applebee's, I was in there at like one o'clock in the morning with a couple of my friends and we're, you know, we're, we're 18. 
And this guy walks in and I can see him. I've got, I'm facing the door. And the second he walked in, my jaw dropped. And my friends all went, what, who is it? And I said, you wouldn't know who it is. And they said, yeah, but who is it? And I said, that's Garrett Thomas. And they said, who's Garrett Thomas? And I said, I told you, you wouldn't know who it is. <laughs> we just had this conversation. And essentially, this is a living legend of magic. And he's not an old guy. I mean, at this, he's probably only in his late 30s now. So I, at the time, I didn't realize how young he was. But to me, this guy was my hero. I had his videos, his books. I had obsessed over his material. I was obsessed with this guy. The way that you would know him is he's David Blaine's creative consultant. So he's one of the creative masterminds behind David Blaine's success. Uh, he's one of the most innovative, most brilliant sleight of hand magicians and thinkers of magic on planet Earth. Uh, Garrett Thomas, he's incredible. And he walks in and I'm going, I, I, I'm, I'm positive that's him. And then he goes and sits down. He's sitting somewhere behind me. So I can't see anymore. I don't want to be awkward and turn and look at him. And then at some point, out of nowhere, a hand comes into my view, puts a business card on the table in front of my face. I look down at the card. It says Garrett Thomas, magician. I look up as he slides into focus and I'm looking up at like my hero who is just standing inches from me. And I said, how did you know I was a magician? And he said, you recognized me. <laughs> Only a magician would recognize me. And I was like, what are you doing? Forget Applebee's. What are you doing in Buffalo? And he said, I live in Buffalo. I'm like, you're kidding me. So I didn't even know it when I was a teenager. Buffalo is this hotspot for magicians. Many of the greatest magicians in, in North America, for some reason, live in Buffalo. Uh, who knew? And, and so basically... The, moral, the, the end of the story is he goes, so uh, every Wednesday night, me and a bunch of guys, we shoot billiards at this local, we shoot pool at this local billiards hall from like midnight to 4 a.m. every Wednesday night. Come uh, here's, it's in downtown Buffalo. Here's where it is. Come down anytime, hang out. So I like, I, I rushed home at two o'clock in the morning. I called my best friend who was also a magician. We were into magic. I said, Adam, you're not gonna believe it. I was at Applebee's. It was like one o'clock. I met Garrett Thomas. He said to come play pool with him on Wednesday nights from midnight to 4 a.m. Adam's like, are you okay? You know, and-, and <laughs> We, so we did next Wednesday, we just went, had to convince our parents we were, it was okay to drive into like downtown Buffalo at midnight to a weird, dirty billiards hall. And for the next two years, almost every Wednesday night, we hung out with this legend of magic, shot pool with him. And in between games, he taught us about magic. And, uh, and that is what propelled the, the beginning of my real professional career. So. Wow. Wow. And I have to share that with my brother because my brother, that's his name. And he and my other brother have a bigger house than I've ever had. They got all type of, you know, golf course and putt putt things. And I'm like, how did you do this? Like, hey, baby, you were a magician. You never wanted to tell me. But um, <laughs> so, but the when you meet someone like that at that level and that they're welcoming, that in itself is rare because sometimes, like had you yes. mentioned earlier, people will be so full of themselves and, you know, here, you're going to have to pay me. And I think the first magician that I ever met, professional magician, was on a college tour I was on, and he happened mm -hmm. to be the first Black magician I've ever met since then. And he taught, showed us tricks on tour, but he also talked about, you know, we this is pre-big internet so you still had your AOL disc right and so you just weren't on the internet just to be on the internet and we would talk about like how the mask magician you know this is like I think when this first came out and he's like um if you see me beat up anybody that's Val Valentino because you know this is when everybody had a problem with him yeah. giving these secrets and so um but to find that this Garrett Thomas was humble enough to bring you on and didn't say, hey, here's a, a, a price tag, because that's what I heard from this magician who kind of gave us the game on magic. He's like, yeah, you can go to school or you can find a magician, work under them. It's thousands and thousands and thousands and tens of thousands of dollars, depending on who you want to work with. But um, yeah. I, that is great that as a you know young person, he didn't hit you up saying, hey, and and that that experience and others like that over the course of my career, my career has been made up of lucky moments and chance encounters uh, from from, you know, just from the the thing that has to be noted, which is my upbringing. Right. I mean, 
white male, middle-class America, right? Can't get much luckier than that to start. So, and then the chance encounters uh, that I've had along the way, which are, are pure luck, right? You, you, you can't believe the stories that I have about things like that and how they've shaped my life and my career. Um, but what you just said is so important because that, that fact that he was willing to help and I've had so many people like that over the years that instead of being like, nah, here's a price tag or here, go find it on your own. Go learn it the way that I did. Or, you know, <laughs> you have to earn your stripes and whatever. The fact that I've had so many people be so willing to help and really generous and uh, with their time and their expertise and not viewed an up and comer as competition, but just as as a new generation and there's plenty for everyone right with it with operating with a with an abundance mindset instead of a scarcity mindset that has informed everything i've tried to do in my career i take any opportunity i can to uh when someone reaches out because because i've become fairly visible as a successful magician and a speaker and a you know at this point an author and you know i got TEDx talk that's very popular and all that stuff. I'm visible. So I get a lot of messages and emails constantly from younger performers looking to get into it. And I will get on the phone for an hour with a total stranger, 17 year old or, or a 40 year old. I don't care if they're looking for advice. If I can find an hour and I will say, it, it, it surprises people every time they ask me one question. I'm, I hope this isn't bothering you. And, you know, and, and I'll say, no, how's a, you have time Wednesday. I got a layover somewhere. I got about an hour. Um, you want to hop on a call? And people are like, what are you serious? <laughs> but like so many people did that for me. They took so much time. I feel like I have an obligation to, to send that forward. So. No, that's that's beautiful and and i think that could also be a book if not a series for you um we don't like to just get the game we like to give it because i could see i mean you you watch mat magicians you know you can go to the vegas shows and it looks like some of them would say hey you're a magician talk to my tiger and if my tiger answers back, um, <laughs> I, I, I will if he then, doesn't eat you, yeah, well, yeah, like he, like he, you know, well, that, yeah, we go <laughs> like he did my partner, but um, but a, a magician is not just someone who shows tricks. I mean, you're a full-on entertainer. You you have to be a comedian. You have even if you're not funny or even talking, you still have to be funny and engaging. H how did you learn that part of it? So that, that's a great question. That, that's actually what has informed this new kind of second career that I'm in. So, so I was a full-time magician for 10 years. That is what I did. I traveled the world. I got, like when people ask, I, I, I like this, I, the way I can describe it is I got about as successful as you can get as a self-employed magician without being famous. So like put my wife through her masters, but like nobody had ever heard of me, right? So it was like, I did well for myself. You know, most magicians don't get that lucky. They barely scrape by. And many of them are very happy barely scraping by, right? And that's, I was very happy when I was very barely scraping by because the goal in life, the pipe dream was if I can make enough money to not die by just doing magic, right? I don't care if I got to live with four roommates and I'm eating beans out of a can and I can't afford to go on a date. I really didn't care. The goal was, if I can just make enough to not die and not ask anybody for help and not have to take a part-time job to support myself, if I can do it with just magic. So what do you need in America to do that? It's more, it's right. It's more than you think, right? It's like 25 K that'll get you scraping by if you're single, right? It's no good for families. If you can do that, that was the pipe dream. And when I was doing that for a couple of years and barely scraping by, I, I was happy. But then I managed to get my name out there and have a couple of lucky breaks. And I started touring nationally and got a couple of nominations for some national awards, didn't win them. But, you know, I, I climbed that ladder and got to a point where I could support my wife through her masters and all this stuff. So I was, I was thrilled. But then another lucky break, I gave this tiny little TEDx talk in, at a high school. I mean, this was a TEDx talk run by high school students given at a high school, the audience was about 80 high school students who were uh, polite. And that's about right. They were polite. They were they were polite to the extent that they were paying attention at all. But so, <laughs> you know, they were fine. But this wasn't some rock star TED event, right? This is a tiny little TEDx talk. I gave that talk called How to Magically Connect with Anyone. 
about how I had learned as a magician to take on perspectives that are different from my own, bridge the gap and create understand, you know, cr- create, create something amazing with an audience and how anybody else can learn to use those same techniques to improve their personal and professional lives. It was this little tight little 14 minute talk. And it went viral. It hit 3 million views practically overnight and it exploded my name and it turned me into a global quote unquote thought leader. I hate that term. We need a better term because when someone says, what do you do for a living? And I I can't go, I'm a thought leader. That is the worst. That is like, that's the worst. But it turned me into a keynote speaker and an author and a consultant and a coach and all these things I do now for a living. Um, So my whole career trajectory is now I'm, I'm a consultant on human connection. That's what I do. And so, but I learned that in the unlikeliest of places, I learned how to connect with people from being a stage magician and, and well, and a close-up magician. But what you learn is as a magician, the audience has not just a different perspective, the complete opposite perspective. They have no idea what the secret is. You know, all the secrets magic has a fundamental flaw. It is antagonistic by its nature. Magic is the epitome of, I know something you don't know. (laughs) When have you ever liked that feel? And anytime you've ever felt, I know something you don't know, you've hated that person, right? Your instinct is to not like someone with that kind of an attitude. So the biggest thing that great magicians have to overcome, the thing that separates great magicians from, from, from mediocre or bad magicians is not that they're better at tricks. Even bad magicians are pretty good at tricks by and large. What <laughs> separates bad magicians from great magicians is their ability to connect with an audience and create this incredible shared experience in spite of the fact that we have a different perspective. Mm. And what's really interesting is that's even a bit of a misnomer. We don't create magic in spite of the fact they have a different perspective. We create it because they have a different perspective. Because... If you know how the tricks work, if, I, if you're another magician, right? I can't create that experience for you. I can't create magic for you. I can't create that experience of wonder because you have the same point of view I do. The only way we can create magic for an audience is because they have a different point of view. And when you take that out into the real world, into your personal relationships and your business relationships, what you realize is we create connections with people not in spite of their differences, but because of them. And that if you can learn to do what magicians do, to weave a network of people who trust you, right? Who feel heard, understood, and valued in your presence, then you can take their hand and go to amazing places. And that has been my career trajectory since the TEDx blew up for the last five years and will probably be the rest of my life. Um, I still do magic shows, uh, you know, straightforward magic shows. When people call me, who still know me, uh, but it's not my full-time living anymore. Uh, so it, it's been, yeah, it's been a fascinating arc. So Wow, wow. Yeah. That's, a, that's amazing how one experience, and you could have, you know, if um, you had a grandiose publicist say, tell everyone that TED Talk was at the Wharton Junior High and all those students didn't go to the Lapoon <laughs> shortly after. And, you know, that's how the, your influence. But yeah. that it was it was at a high school. That That is amazing how life, in that you have to be able to pivot, not because you are yeah. tired of magic, but that there's other ways that you can, you know, do the same or similar things. And you can always bring magic in. I mean, that's that's the that's part of you but but you can connect deeper and help boom so many other type of career so you with the being an author you're also a musician and and talk <laughs> about the, how you you know added the music and some of the first <laughs> that you you know have done with mixing music and magic that's that's so funny i got to tell you i don't i've done hundreds and hundreds of interviews over the years both in print and on podcasts and stuff and i think you're the first person who has ever asked me about music i think you're the first person not and intentionally people accidentally say musician instead of magician all the time but i always know what they mean they say so you're like how did you get into being a musician and i'm like i knew they meant magician and i just go with it um but i think you're the first person who's ever actually dug enough or read enough or something so you kudos and much appreciated that you you did you clearly did your research because that is not a common fact about me uh professionally if you know me personally 
you mostly know me for music. My friends, uh, so I, I went to college for music originally. That is what, I, in fact, I, my dream was to be a rock star. I mean, that, that was all I wanted to be. I'm a guitarist by trade. My dad's a musician. He played professionally to put, he, he supported himself through his PhD as one of the, uh, like the number one wedding band on Long Island back in, in the day. Um, he's a bass player by trade. I was a guitarist. Uh, am a guitarist, whatever. Once a guitarist, always a guitarist. You can see, I, I don't know if you can, off to the side over here, there's, there's a lot. There's a lot of them off to the side over here for anybody watching the video. I, I saw the home. one behind too. I, I oh saw- yeah, yeah, yeah. There's, there, they go and go and go. Um, yeah. I'm, in, I'm in my home studio here. So, um, so music, I used to say this all the time. Magic was my job. Music is my life. And if I had to choose, if somebody had come down and said, all right, turns out cosmically for some reason, you can only do magic or you can only have music. You can have music in your life or magic and you can't have both and you have to choose now. I would have taken music without a second thought and I would have found a different way to make a living because I love magic. I was very lucky to love my job and I still love magic, right? I love magic, but I couldn't live without music. And, and it's just a different level for me. Uh, I think there's a great quote from uh, that movie Across the Universe uh, that came out back when I was in college, which if you haven't seen is exceptional. It's a, they took all the Beatles songs and they wove a brand new story in it. It was a musical movie. It's fantastic. I really recommend it. And I feel like it was a big deal at the time and people have mostly forgotten about it now. There was a line in that movie when the character that was kind of representing a Jimi Hendrix-esque person in the movie said, music's the only thing that makes sense anymore. And if you play it loud enough, it keeps the demons at bay. (laughs) And I've always felt like that. I've never felt that depth with magic. I love magic. I love it can bring wonder and joy and excitement. But I can find wonder, joy, and excitement in a lot of places. Magic is just one avenue for that for me. It's a fun avenue. Uh, it's hard to replicate what music does uh, for the soul and for, for connection. Uh, I've felt more magic at a rock concert than I've ever felt at a magic show. Like when I saw, I've seen The Who a million times, uh, which is like one of my favorite bands of all time. Uh, when, when they hit the climax of Love Rain Over Me, or when I saw Aerosmith and they hit the climax of Dream On. Uh, you know, when you have these moments and 20,000 people become one person all at the same time and you feel that moment and substitute whatever type of music you're into for that, right? You know, if, you, if you're into hip hop or country or pop, it doesn't matter, whatever, right? You can have that experience at a Lady Gaga concert. You can have it, whatever, right? <laughs> yeah. So I just, I'm a classic rock guy, obviously. So that moment is so powerful. There's just nothing like it. Now, here's the thing. Basically, every magician you've ever seen uses music in their act. You've probably never seen a magician that didn't use music all throughout their act, in between the tricks, during the tricks. And it makes sense. Music and magic have some very, a lot of similarities. They, have a, they both have a rhythm to them. And so it makes sense you'd line up music with magic. Here's the issue. This was only me. As far as I can tell, no one else has ever had this problem. So I'm sure it's just me. I always felt like magicians used music in, in kind of a cheap way. I felt like magicians would take all the top 10 pop songs, whatever's on the radio right now that's really popular, and just shove them all into their act. And what happens is when you put on a song before you start a trick that's popular right now and everybody loves, the whole audience gets really excited because they love that song. Now, that feels like a cheap way to get your audience emotionally engaged as a magician like bon jovi never did a card trick in between songs to get people excited for living on a prayer right like they got that excitement from living on a prayer because they're musicians and i always felt like as a magician you ought to be able to get that emotional engagement from the magic you shouldn't have to use music to pull that in so i never used music in my act for years as a magician not once ever no recorded music. I did an act that was essentially a stand-up comic doing a magic show. <laughs> so the problem is I kept thinking, I wish I had music in my act. It, like music fits. It makes sense. I just, I don't want to use it in a cheap way. Pro- but I play music, I play like a lot of instruments. Problem is you're a magician. You need your hands. You can't play music and do magic at the same time. Then I know this is a long story. It's going to get good though. One Christmas, 
I was visiting my little brother who now lives in Seattle, right near you, who is a prodigal musician. He is in a, uh, actually, you're in Seattle. You should meet these guys. They're in a prog rock, their prog rock band, uh, Moon Letters, M-O-O-N, uh, L-E-T-T-E-R-S, Moon Letters. Don't ask me where the name came from. Don't ask him either. I don't think he knows. <laughs> they're, they're a prog rock band. There's not a lot of them left. They are, their first album, their debut album just came out. They are making waves all over the world. They're about to go on some massive tours. It's unbelievable. My brother is a, uh, a prodigal musician. He's proficient on dozens of instruments, but bass guitar is his primary. So back on this one Christmas, my brother was just learning bass. He was in the very first year. He, uh, he's five years younger than me. And he was just learning bass and he had bought this pedal called a loop pedal. Now, I didn't know what that was at the time. This was relatively new technology in terms of its consumer availability. Been around for ages, but not affordable, right? Suddenly affordable. And my brother was recording himself live and then playing over himself and recording again, right? Basically recording layer after layer after layer of himself and creating an entire band just from the bass in real time. If you've ever seen a looping musician, someone using a loop station, right? You have, hopefully the listeners at this point have. Um, it's the first time you see it, it's a miracle. I mean, it's, it's the most magical thing you've ever seen. I said, what is that? He explained it. He showed me how to use it. I tested it out on my guitar and a light bulb went off and I went, this is how I get music into my magic show. So I bought a loop station, had it sent to my house. By the t- It was there by the time I got back from visiting my brother and I started playing with it. And for about the next three years, I was the first magician in the world, and I believe I remain the only magician in the world who's ever done this. I was uh, using live guitar looping in a magic show. So what I would do is I would pick up a guitar in the middle of the show. People had no idea. They didn't think it was for me. They figured someone else was going to come out and play that. Pick it up, and I would create a loop. I would create an entire song, layer after layer, in real time in front of the audience. My music, my song that I had created, and I created it in real time in front of the audience, then set the guitar down because it's playing on its own and then perform a silent piece of magic, kind of a classical piece of magic set to the music I had just created live. Wow. And it was the most incredible piece in the show. It was the talk of the show for years. And the only reason it left my act was it got too difficult with TSA to keep traveling with all that gear by myself uh, because it was only a five minute bit in a 75 minute show and the amount of extra bags and guitar and equipment and the tech requirements I needed to have the venue, it just, it was so, such a hassle for just five minutes in the show, not even four minutes in the show. Eventually we just dropped it because it was just too difficult to keep traveling with by myself. But um, it, it was, uh, yeah, it was, it was amazing. So thanks for asking about that. I haven't thought about that in a long time. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I saw that and you can really play. I mean, you, Thank you. you I mean, it's not just, you know, it's not chord buddy. It's you didn't just, hey, let me on chord buddy, you know, <laughs> one of our shark take favorites. I'm gonna you know, <laughs> really play. And so, you know, t- talk about like the um albums and you know, if you're if you know, a lot of times folks will say, Oh, someone's a musician not knowing that they just scored a whole movie. Um, and, and, and so what are your goals and, and what have you you done and what do you wanna like what the end all goal? Is it to tour three hundred and forty days out of the week and miss your wife or you know, bring her with you maybe? Or is it to, you know, is it behind the scenes scoring? Um, what's your vision? With music or my career in particular? With, with, in with, general? Mu- with music, especially, because music oh, yes. is that thing you can't live without. So if you could just draft it all out, what would you love to be doing? Yeah. So the thing I would most, most love to be doing with music is never making a dime off of it. Oh. And I have no interest in making money. I have four albums on iTunes. My father and I record music. He's in Buffalo. I'm in Connecticut now, but we record music remotely. God bless the digital era, right? We can record remotely and like in real time, practically now it's incredible. We have four albums out there, but they're under a pseudonym because he has this world famous career in computer science. And I have my own thing and we didn't want Google searches and SEO to get confused and with our careers. So uh, if you're, curious uh i've i don't think i've ever promoted this or mentioned it ever uh it's escher's enigma 
uh, Escher, like MC Escher, uh, and Enigma Escher because my father's a computer scientist, and Enigma because of magic. Uh, so it's Escher's Enigma is the 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 project title. So people apparently think that's a real band. We've had reviews that like talk about Escher's Enigma and and all this stuff, and it's just hysterical. It's just me and my dad making some music together. Um, acoustic pop, modern rock, uh, some some heavy modern rock. Uh, we're just finishing our fifth album. We've been working on for the last three years now. It's been a while. Uh, it, which is a rock opera kind of right out of the eighties kind of style, like a story that follows through. Um, my, here's the thing. I know some people have purchased that album and we've probably bought a cup of coffee or two off of that. We've only ever put it out there to put it into the world because it's no use making art. If you never show it to anybody. Uh, I, I really believe that. now I, it doesn't mean that there's no intrinsic value. Like if you paint just for yourself, you can get enjoyment out of that, but I don't know to what extent you can really call it art unless you ever put it into the world. Right. And, and so when people get nervous, they, like I, I met a, I met a, like a 16, 17 year old student recently. And she said, um, you know, she said, I was asking her about what she wanted to go to college for. And she said, I want to be an author. I want to be a writer. And I said, that's great. And she said, but I, I know it's going to be really, it's, it's going to be really hard. I know it's really hard to be a writer. I said, listen, it, it's hard to be anything. It's just, it's hard to do anything, yeah. you know? And she said, yeah, uh, you know, so I'll probably have to do some other things before I can ever try to do that. And I said, well, send me your blog. She said, well, I don't have a blog. I said, oh, okay, well, send me your short stories that you've published. And she said, well, I, I haven't published any short stories. I said, all right, so here's the deal. You're growing up in the greatest era there's ever been to be an artist. There's less money to be made than ever, but there's more opportunities than ever, right? Mm -hmm. So this is weird. The industries are gone, but the opportunities to share your art are, are immense. The cost is basically zero. If you have a phone in your pocket, and if we're talking in America, you do, and almost <laughs> everywhere in the world you do, even in places where they don't have running water, they have internet right now, right? Yeah. So- if you have a phone in your pocket, you have access to every human being on planet Earth. So if you want, if you're nervous to put your name on it because you're nervous, oh, someone's going to see it and I'm going to be judged, start by publishing anonymously. Write a blog every week. Put it under a pseudonym, right? This is a advice from my mentor, Seth Godin. Uh, put it under a pseudonym, right? Uh, uh, if you want to uh, be a musician and you're nervous because your friends are going to make funny, just make a pseudonym. Release a YouTube, put it on YouTube. And, and if 10 people like it, you're off to a good start. If 100 people like it, you're doing really well. And if 1,000 people like it, you can make a living. Like, not, you're not going to make a fortune, but you can make a living on 1,000 true fans, right? Kevin Kelly, and, uh, Kevin Kelly, I think, right? So I'm looking at this girl and I said, you need to start a blog yesterday. If you want to be a writer, you have no excuse anymore for not putting your art into the world. So that's, that's my little soapbox about that. But to answer directly your question, the reason I don't want to make any money from my music is because I love music. And as soon as you make money from your art, it changes your relationship with your art. When I was a full-time magician, I didn't get to do magic. I had to do magic, right? I have bills to pay. And that changes how you think about it because you start to compromise. You start to go, well, this amazing piece where I do guitar looping and music and magic all in one that people love, I need to drop that because it's too inconvenient. It's cutting into my profit margins, right? I have to fly to gigs and it, I can't fly easily with it. So you have to start making these compromises when you have to make a living. But when you just do your art because you want to, or as a side hustle on the weekends that you don't need, it's just fun money, then you can just do it without compromise and you get to enjoy your art in its purity, right? And so for that reason, I have no interest in making a dime from my music. It's the one, the one thing in my life that isn't monetized. Everything else I do is somehow directly or indirectly supporting my business. Even if you're not paying, right? My YouTube channel, you're not paying, but it's monetized. My blog is free, but I'm hoping that it'll lead, lead people to booking me to come speak at their event, right? It's all a part of my business, but music is just for me. So I'm in my happy place right now. If you're watching this, this is my home studio. It's acoustically treated. It's beautiful. I love it. I could stay in here. My wife, when I had this done, she's like, oh, I'm never going to see you again. <laughs> <laughs> and it's, was, it's beautiful. At one point, she almost, she almost put them. She's like, we have a mini fridge in the basement. If you wanted to put, and then she stopped. She said, oh no, you're not allowed to have a fridge in there. You'll never leave the room. <laughs> <laughs>
<laughs> and it's a beautiful it's a beautiful setup. Um, I, I try to tell people, Seth, you can't get enough of his books because he's written over two hundred. So once start- once in a generation genius, man. Yeah, he's been he's he's become he went from being a hero from afar to a mentor and someone I'm very lucky to call a friend in certain circumstances. And he's been uh, very very generous with me. He's generous with everybody, but he is um, if uh, if you're looking for one person one person's work to get you unstuck, no matter who you are or what you do, it's Seth every time. I, would, I have this uh, fa- fantasy interview land where you can put certain people in a room. And some of those folks, I, in my initial thought, I'm like, oh, man, they died. I wish you could have got them. Right. But certain people who are unassuming, um, not going to be on the cover of GQ anytime soon. But you had said something, too, also, that girl, how creators have this idea. But And I only find this in millennials. I think because... Others were just so ready to, you know, just do their dream. But I just came from a, the biggest TV conference in the country. Mm-hmm. And you had creators who didn't have a sizzle ready, didn't have a trailer. And you can then go online. Let's, if we're talking about guitarists, and you can look yeah. at like, I don't know if you know Estas Tone, where he's just playing in Spain and da 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 And they say, <laughs> looks like Jesus, you know, whatever. <laughs> and he's and just playing his yeah. guitar and you, you you can see videos of even seal you know rocking out on the street even yeah. though, you know and so it's like you got to be ready and that preparation so when the opportunity comes there's no mm-hmm. excuse now i do have a question though yeah you and your dad have this music mm-hmm. but did you not invite your brother to say hey can we get a feature from <laughs> you uh so he so, so this is a family dynamic thing. So my brother is not my dad's son. So I, I have a, uh, so my dad has, and my brother have basically no relationship. And the reason, so my brother has guested on a bunch of our songs on piano. He is also a brilliant world-class pianist. And basically my brother plays a million instruments. My dad is only a bass player. Mm-hmm. My brother's a musician. I'm a guitarist. My dad's a bass player, but my brother's a musician. And I do sometimes feel the need to separate them. I'm like, I play guitar. He's a musician. And so my dad is a bass player. That's what he does. And so, and again, no real relationship with my brother really doesn't know him at all. I mean, he's met him a few times in my life, but that's it. So my dad, it would be disrespectful to him to invite my brother to do any bass playing on this project. Cause it's my dad and I, it's our project together. But I'm a mediocre pianist. I can knock it out, but you know, I can get it, the job done if I have to in the studio. But when I want something amazing on a piano part, I call my brother and my dad's got no issue with that because he doesn't play piano either. So my brother has done some synthesizer stuff, some MIDI stuff for us. So that's where he gets involved. So that's, that's, that's the answer to that, that question. It's a, good, it's a good thought though. My brother and I have done some of our own projects, just the two of us, but we've never released anything. We just have done it for fun and we'll toss a video up every so often. And, uh, he's, uh, he's a beast. (laughs) He he, he plays circles around me. He makes me feel very silly. (laughs) Man, that that's, that's amazing. Just to have that talent. I, I, I mean, I try to make an entrepreneur out of everybody. I know I have family (laughs) members who are like, um, I don't want to do that. Or I do that for fun. I just had an uncle create a fishing charter business and I'm like, is this your business? He's like, yeah. I set his Yelp up and said, hey, make sure you claim this because we can't die not trying. And that's, I mean, like you said, everything is hard. Yeah. Being broke is hard. <laughs> being, <laughs> being homeless is hard. I know people say, oh, they have nothing to worry about. You try that in, you know, a city like Seattle that you see riches flowing in that $100,000, you're not even in the middle class. Oh, (laughs) Seattle's a disaster. Seattle, like it's what you just said. People think six, six, people still have this $100,000 figure in their mind because it's always been that kind of holy grail. I'm like, that doesn't get you that far in America anymore. Like it it gets you out of poverty, don't get me wrong. But it doesn't, (laughs) it doesn't get you even, it barely gets you into the middle class right now. I mean, if you have, if you're making six figures and you got a family and you have one bad medical thing happen, you're done. Like it's amazing how much you need in this country 
uh, you know, not, not that this is still the best that you couldn't be in much better places. Well, maybe Canada, but there's not a whole many, like Canada gets way too much hate. I'm from Buffalo, which may as well be a Canadian colony. We grew up, grew up 15 minutes from the border. We used to make fun of Canada constantly. Now I look at Canada like politically and socially and I'm like, Oh, they're, they're pretty, they're pretty good. <laughs> Canada <laughs> seems good. I mean, it's a frozen wasteland, but, um, but no, it's, it's amazing. Seattle is a, uh, uh, Connecticut's like that though. Connecticut people have this idea, which you know where I live, where have this idea when you tell people you're from Connecticut that it's just wealth, and it's like, nope, that's just Greenwich and Westport. Don't don't and forget Westport, West, and Westport, Westport, Orange, yeah. right? It's that area, right? <laughs> yeah, it's, yeah. it's the borderline of New York. It's Westport, Orange, Greenwich, Stamford, and and there's a little pocket of true like all American middle class in the middle of the state, which is where I live because we we're, we're talking. And the rest of Connecticut's a disaster. It's a disaster. You go mm. 10 minutes in any direction from me and it's bad real quick. Um, so yeah, no, I, uh, I, I hear you. Although I, I, I'm interested to make a comment though about every, you're trying to push everybody to be an entrepreneur. I've done that too. I feel myself because I've always been self-employed and the beauty of getting to make your own rules and there are no ceilings, right? There's just, if you're not succeeding, it's you could not succeed because of pure bad luck, right? There's a luck factor in everything. So I'm going to throw that out there. But within the fact that you can have bad luck and not succeed purely for that reason, if you're willing to work hard enough for long enough, you will achieve at least a modicum of success. If you don't get a lucky break, you may never achieve the height of success, but you will achieve enough success to make a living and be comfortable. And so I find myself doing like you do, trying to push people constantly to self-employment. Uh, I think self-employment is much more secure than having a job in the current economy. I think if you have a job, you're just giving somebody else the ability to rip your life apart in one instant for no reason, because they arbitrarily didn't hit their numbers this year, right? You can get fired in an instant. Not because the company didn't make enough money, or, but because they didn't make as much money as they expected to. Not that they lost money, right? They just didn't make as much as they said they were going to, and so they'll lay people off. So putting yourself in that position is, to me, way more, uh, way less secure than being self-employed, where if one of my clients decides they don't want to work with me anymore or they don't have the budget this year, they're not the only ones. I got, I got you know, a, a, I could have 100 different clients a year. I'm not going to be in, in, in dire straits if any one thing falls apart. Having said that, I don't think entrepreneurship or self-employment is for everyone. Mm -hmm. It's for me and it's for you. But there's a lot of people I find myself trying to encourage them. And then you start to realize they're not the kind of person that should be self-employed. It, it's, it's not a better or worse thing. There's just, there's an attitude, there's a mindset. Um, there's a constant go, 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 hustle, hustle. You know, I don't take vacations. I don't have weekends. I don't have nights. I, I, if, you know, I do my best to balance my personal life, you know, and, and my wife is unbelievably supportive of that. But if there's, if it's nine o'clock at night and we're home, we're watching a show together. And then I realize there's something that a client needed that I really should, that's it. I'm going to go back to work, right? If someone calls me at midnight, I probably won't answer these days, but I might. And I'd at least listen to the voicemail and figure out how I'm going to get up early and start dealing with it tomorrow. Like I'm on all the time. And there's just not everybody is meant for that. And I don't think everybody needs to do that. So that's. No, well, everyone's not meant, but it's almost like going to the gym where we see everyone, you know, naturally wouldn't be healthy. They'd eat just all the garbage that they want. Right. Yeah. But what the future is holding with automation and what we tell people yeah. is as a, you know, put it, the consultant hat is I don't want to hire employees. If you are a secretary, I make a secretary business and you, I will hire you, but you can also, if you are good at time management, work here, here, and here. Cause right. we, we see that with the virtual assistants all right. day from the Philippines to wherever, but what the future is holding, I don't think many people are like in this bubble of, you're not going to be like my pops who work and retired after 30, 35 years. Oh, that's, that's <laughs> gone. It's been gone for almost 20 years. It's just been, the only reason people don't realize it's gone is because those people, the older generation are still, are still finishing those jobs. You're right, those careers. 
yeah. that that industrial mindset of I'm going to work for a place and stay there and there. No, no, that's that's that's. I think I think you're very right about that. I think we're we're. In, oh, I think over the next ten years we're going to see the most disruptive period of kind of the job economy that we've seen in 150 years. I think we're about to see everything fall apart and get rebuilt in, in the, the job market and in education. Uh, it's, it's really interesting what's happening. And uh, yeah. And if you don't believe us, you guys, and say, oh, man, that's just, you know, futuristic type talk, go rent a Tesla for the weekend and tell me you're not even driving different, <laughs> you know? <laughs> yeah. And, and, and the, you know, there's a lot of people really worried about, about losing their jobs. And it's interesting. A lot of people are going to lose their jobs. And you need to ask yourself, and, and, and that's obviously that's bad that's sad for those people right obviously there's no doubt about that but instead of sticking your head in the sand and saying no that's not going to happen and 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 just complaining about it when it does start to look at what you do and realize that the people who are going to succeed in this new economy in this new job market the only people who are going to succeed are the people who are able to as i mentioned earlier weave a network of people who trust them who make others around them feel heard, understood, and valued, who show up with empathy and generosity and respect on a daily basis because all the stuff that can be automated is being automated. And so if your job is repetitive or pushing papers around or data entry, all that stuff's getting automated, whether you like it or not, right? You can stick your head in the sand, but it's happening anyway. But if you're, here's an interesting example. Just because you're in that type of work doesn't mean you're going to lose your job. It means most of those jobs are going away, but it doesn't have to be yours. So if you are a receptionist, right? And basically what you do is check people in and data entry, very likely your job's going to disappear unless you are the kind of person who when people come in are so happy to see you, you make them feel welcome and secure. You make them feel seen as an individual person with value. If you're that kind of a secretary, then the automation will take over the data entry parts of your job, mm -hmm. but you're not going to be the one that loses your job because the human aspect can't be automated. And that is where you're going to find a uh, sustainable career. So that's, that's what I've been telling college students for the last couple of years uh, on the, uh, the speaking tours that I do. And I really believe that if you're serious about making it uh, as everything starts to fall apart, that's the key. Double down on the human aspects of your work. You know, the crazy part of that, it could be 50, it could be 100, who knows, it could be, you know, five minutes. But after that same person you're talking about, even after they die, then they're going to have a hologram of them. And that person's still going to be greeting them and say, <laughs> I remember when I greeted your father's father's father. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. That, you know. that is very funny. That's funny. Well, well, Brian, I want to always be respectful of the time because we could go on for days and days. I, already I have no see. doubt. <laughs> yeah, but I, I, I like to know what is, and you, you've mentioned a, a couple, and it's okay if you repeat it, but what is your community give back that you're doing or that you'd even one that you'd like to do in the future? Community give back. Can you define that for me? Something that, you know, it's almost like you described your music are always talking to somebody and giving them the advice that you had been given. Um, or it could be, you know, I'd like to have a music school, magic school, because I know that there's, you know, people out there who need a program. <laughs> and, you know, there's nothing like this out there that's discounted or for free or even if it costs money, but just something that yeah. you'd like to just give to the community. And it doesn't have to be nonprofit. I don't like to put it in a bubble because things need money to, <laughs> you know. Yeah, sure, sure. Uh, so you're asking about what is something that I do or I'd like to do as a way to, to give back to, uh, to the community at large, right? Correct. So the, Basically, everything I do is free. The only thing I charge for is my speaking engagements. So that's it. If all of all everything, 
all everything I do is free. So if if you and I do that for a reason, right? So that it's accessible to anybody. My my YouTube channel is free. I publish two to three times or once or twice a week on on YouTube with thoughts about different things. If you're into video, it's there. Uh, and and I run a podcast, right? Where I in I I have conversations with legends and leaders of industries. The third season starting in. Uh, in March. It's free. It's not monetized. There's no ads and there never will be. There's no sponsors. There's no ads. I don't do any of that. So you don't even have to sit through ads on there. Um, nobody plugs anything. I plug for them if I want to, but that's it. So the podcast is called Beyond Networking and all that rant you just heard me do, that is what the podcast is about. Um, if you, I think it's beyondnetworkingpodcast.com. Third season starting in March. I interview uh, legends and leaders of industries about the relationships, chance encounters, and connections that got them there, right? So, and we mentioned Seth. He was, he was a guest on the second season of my podcast. You should go listen to that conversation first. It's amazing. So that's free. Um, I, uh, locally here, I do community. Uh, I, occasionally, I do uh, like a library. Uh, you know, I do library classes. And actually, one of the things I'm planning on for the rest of this year is this summer, I wanted to start doing a series of, um, free classes at the library at some local libraries that are basically a one hour uh, streamlined version of my networking workshop that I do at colleges. So I get brought in, you know, expensive brought in to do these like three hour networking workshops at college campuses. But I want to bring that to uh, both high school students that are about to graduate and also college students that are about to graduate. So anybody looking to really build, learn how to network by way of making meaningful connections, real genuine connections and not just spamming people with their business cards. So, uh, so that's the thing that I'm, I'm, I'm working on right now is bringing a series of, uh, of, of uh, free workshops to, uh, to local libraries. And my blog is free and every, right? it's all there. So if you want me to speak on your stage, it's gonna cost you a lot of money. <laughs> Other than that, everything I do is free. And, and that is awesome. Um, you guys, we could have talked about NACA, which is, you know, all about <laughs> campus activities. Oh, NACA. I, 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 I think, Brian, you know, if he hasn't, I mean, there should be a section just for what you're doing for at South by Southwest. We, we, you know, we could, we could have talked about a, a lot of different things. And so I would love to get involved with South by Southwest someday. Well, I, I'm, I'm going, I love South by Southwest. I like going almost like you like doing music where I'm mm -hmm. not working. I've gone working and I've yeah. gone not working. Yeah. I enjoy both, but I, and I think you, you know, if you haven't applied, you, you, you should definitely apply. And we can even, um, if there's a, a lane that I see, I will share something with you because I could, I could see that, Fantastic. but you guys have gotten so much game. I've hope you've taken notes so you can go check out all the websites. Check out the music. When someone tells you they're doing music for the love, that's the purest music that you are going to get because they didn't have an A&R telling them, Hey, do it like this. They didn't mm -hmm. say because of the YouTube views, we're at a million and you know, we knew our audience go check everything out learn that's what we are here to do at diversified game brian i thank you for your time always want to respect the time and appreciate such you. such a pleasure i really enjoyed this let's do this again yes sir hey i we we definitely i'm going to take you up on that thank <laughs> you have a good one cool Thanks for getting in the game and listening to the Diversified Game Podcast with Kellen, Tyson, and AL. The number one show pairing entrepreneurship with diverse and inclusive perspectives like wine and cheese, bagel and locks, fish and grits. Be sure to visit DiversifiedGame.com for all the good stuff. Join in the conversation and discover more content.